Hired by faith, driven by results, it's the Compassion Network Podcast with Tia Ramey. Thank you for tuning in to the Compassion Network, where we discuss leadership from the perspective of faith. I'm your host, Tia Ramey, and I'm excited to introduce to you my network of compassionate leaders around the state of Ohio that make changing lives their business. Tonight, I want to introduce you to a leader that is very passionate about Ohio families. Congressman Bill Johnson has committed his career to making a difference in the community. He is the author of Raising Fathers, which explores the social and cultural impact of fatherhood. I thought it was very important to have a conversation about the family and the very instrumental role the fathers have, and I couldn't think of anyone better to have a discussion with. Congressman, welcome to the Compassion Network. So much for having me. I appreciate it. it, uh, it this is uh, I'm looking forward to this opportunity. It is indeed a subject that I uh, that I'm very passionate about. I am so happy uh, to to hear that you know our legislators have taken interest in this subject. I'm just going to read a few statistics uh, that I have researched, and this came from the U.S. Department of Health. It says 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes, which is 32 times the average. 85% of all children who show behavior disorders come from fatherless homes. Um, That's from the Center of Disease Control. 80% of rapists with anger problems come from fatherless homes. 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes, and that comes from the National Principals Association's report. I mean, needless to say, this is a very important discussion topic. Well, it is, uh, and the statistics that you just read, you know, I mean, they're numbers. The reality is that these are lives that are impacted. Uh, children that are raised in fatherless homes are far more prone to go into uh, um, uh, lifestyles of drugs, of violence, of uh, crime, uh, than children that are raised in a, in a two-parent home. Uh, there's a formula that God put in place when he created the institution of the family, uh, and it was a father and a mother. Uh, that's, the, that's the two pieces of the puzzle that it takes to raise a child, and, uh, and, and they're both vitally important in their own right. And, uh, and I can tell you from personal experience, uh, uh, both as a, as a child being raised in a uh, dysfunctional family home with an alcoholic father, and then uh, uh, as a father myself. Uh, so I can tell you, it, it is a real important issue that our society needs to get a grip on, and we need to do it soon. Absolutely. So uh, can you just talk to us a little bit about your professional background and the impact your faith has made on your work? I, absolutely. You know, I... Uh, I was born and raised on a two-wheel wagon rut mule farm. Uh, uh, we didn't have indoor plumbing until I was about 13 years old. We farmed with mules, uh, and and it was on that little farm that I learned the the important values of of uh, family and sacrifice and hard work uh, every Sunday morning. Uh, uh, and it, I don't recall it ever being an exception. Uh, every Sunday morning, we were in Sunday school. Uh, every Sunday night, we were back at church. Uh, every Wednesday night, we were at prayer meeting. I, I remember my grandparents, who had such a big influence on my life, 
because like I said, my father was an alcoholic. And so that little farm was a sanctuary for me. It's where I felt safe. My grandfather was a, was a stalwart committed Christian, uh, didn't, didn't say a lot, didn't talk a lot, uh, but his actions spoke far louder than words. And he would take me to that little church on with him on Sunday morning. And I can, I can remember as a child uh, that uh, uh, th- there was no electricity in the church in the very early days. And the way he would signal for people to come to church was to pull on a rope that would ring the bell in the steeple. And, uh, and he would let me hang on to that rope. And when it would, uh, when it would, when it would uh, ring the bell, it would, it would pull me up into the rafters of the church and it was like going to Disney World. That was my roller coaster. And I, uh, I looked forward to that every Sunday morning. I can remember my grandmother um, uh, sitting by the fire uh, in that little farm home uh, by, that, by that big black pot-bellied stove that heated the home. Uh, and I can remember her sitting there uh, turning the pages in her Bible. She and my granddad would that's the last thing I would see of them doing before they went to bed each night. I did not learn until after my grandmother was dead had she had passed that she didn't know how to read. Uh, but she knew that there was something in that book that held something special for her. And of course that, that foundation of faith uh, uh, followed me for the rest of my life. I, I, you know, I joined the Air Force out of high school, uh, and and I could, it would take me hours to tell you all of the different times when I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that uh, that God just put His hands around me, His arms around me, and He shielded me from uh, uh, the issues of the day uh, and the problems that I was going through. As a, as a child in a broken home, we went to my mother, spent more time running from my father than living with him. So, uh, so I went to 13 schools in 12 years from grade one oh. through 12. And, uh, and, and I was always the new kid. So, I, I mean, it, it certainly taught me resilience, but it gave me a determination when I, when I, uh, when I became a father myself. Uh, that uh, that I learned more about what not to do and the kind of father I didn't want to be from my own dad than from uh, uh, than from uh, what to do, and so I, I tried to use those lessons that I learned from my grandfather and some of the other surrogates that stood in the gap for me, and when whether it was my own children at home. Or, uh, or, or young troops that I might be responsible for in the Air Force, uh, I, I always tried to look at them uh, a little differently. You know, that's somebody's daughter or that's somebody's son, and, uh, and they're looking for leadership. They're looking for a role model. And, uh, mm-hmm. and, and so I tried to apply those lessons in the work that I did in the Air Force and certainly in the work that I do today in Congress. Well, first, thank you for your service. Well, you're most welcome. I wouldn't, wouldn't, I wouldn't take a million dollars for a single day of it. 
you describe your life so vividly, like like it's a movie. And I, I know that you wrote a book called Raising Fathers. Can you talk to us about the meaning of that title? Yeah, the, the, the book, uh, actually the genesis of the book came out of a, of a tragedy. Uh, you know, I got the call that many fathers uh, dread getting. Uh, nobody wants to get the call, but I got the call from my uh, oldest daughter when she was a senior in high school. Uh, that she was pregnant. And, uh, uh, you know, we got through the initial conversation. And, and of course, there were, there were many that, uh, uh, and including some people close to her that, uh, and close to our family that tried to convince her that having an abortion was, uh, was, was an option for her. And, of course, I had raised my children with the same values that, uh, that I had been taught by my grandparents and and uh, I strongly oppose uh, abortion, uh, especially elective abortion. And, uh, and so my daughter would not consider that. But I also did not want her to have anything to do with the birth father because uh, he was a dropout of school. He had dropped out of school in the ninth grade, couldn't get a job, couldn't keep a job. I saw that as a dead-end road for her. He had, a, he had an anger problem. And uh, as hard as I tried, I tried to get my daughter to stay away from the birth father. I, I told her, you know, we can have the baby, you can have the baby, and we'll make the best of this situation, and we'll provide the baby uh, a, a good upbringing. But you don't have to compound your problem by staying involved with the birth father. But she told me, she said, Dad, uh, something tells me I cannot just take that baby and and lock him out of his father's life. And so, uh, you know, throughout the pregnancy, I had my doubts. I watched this young man, uh, and and I had my concerns. But, Tia, when the baby was born, something happened in the life of that young man. And it was like a light switch flipping. Uh, Suddenly he began to talk different, to act different, to walk different. Uh, he found his faith. Uh, he, he came to know Christ, uh, and, and he began to act responsibly. And uh, he and I actually began to build a, a good relationship, and I was very, very happy uh, that, uh, that my daughter, she didn't, she didn't marry him at first, but four years later, uh, my grandson now is, is four years old at that point, um, I was very happy to walk her down the aisle to uh, uh, and hand her hand to his as they married and started a family of their own. Well, uh, just a few months later, she got married in September. Just a few months later, in February of 2001, I got a uh, I got her a horrific telephone call in the middle of the night. A raging fire had ripped through their apartment complex. And uh, both my son-in-law and my grandson had been killed in that apartment fire. And so as as I began to ask God my own questions, you know, why did something like this happen? Why why take my grandson at such an early age? I mean, I'd been a Christian uh, since I was about 10 years old when I came to know Christ. And, and, And so I had those natural questions. And for for a long time, God did not answer my question, but eventually he did. And it occurred to me, you know, had it not been 
for God showing up in the eyes of that child, for my grandson, for my son-in-law, uh, chances are he would have never found himself and turned into the father uh, that he did. My grandson loved him. Uh, I grew to respect him. My daughter loved him. And, uh, and I said, you know, we need to find these young men that, that are going to be fathers because every time a young girl uh, comes up pregnant out of wedlock, there's a young boy out there that's going to be a dad. And in many cases, the boys get, uh, they get sidetracked. They get pushed to the side. Uh, her parents, they don't want to have anything to do with him because, uh, you know, he's sort of, uh, he, he's picked the flower before it's fully bloomed. And, uh, and, and his parents don't want to have anything to do with it because uh, they've now got to take on potentially responsibility for something that they were not planning for at that point in their lives. And so in many cases, the young boys just fade off and fade away and leaving that young girl to, to have that baby and, and be a single mom or give it up for adoption or worse yet, uh, pursue an abortion. And so I said, we need to get these young men and raise them up to be fathers because they can do that. They don't, even if they don't marry the birth mother, they still mm-hmm. have a role and a responsibility in the life of that child. And we should, as a society, teach them how to fulfill that role. And that's where the, the genesis of the book came from, because I think if we can do anything for these young mothers uh, that, that are single moms, give them a willing participant, uh, a father, a birth father that understands what their role is, and let's start putting our society back together because the attack on the family uh, by the culture around us these days it's had a devastating effect uh, on on American families, and uh, and we need to get dads understanding what their roles are. So, what would you say is uh, just some of the responsibility of society in, in raising fathers? You know, what what should we be doing as a community to to do better? You know, by raising our sons in this way. Well, you know, one thing is to set an example. You know, I I, uh, uh, I was a, uh, as a commander in the Air Force. Uh, I looked for opportunities to uh, to to be a role model to young men, and and I can tell you, Tia, that uh, that many did the same for me. They didn't know they were doing it at the time, but uh, the the leadership and the example that I'd not that I did not get from my father. I got from very unassuming men who just took an interest in me as a as a young man and uh, and would uh, you know be willing to counsel me when I went to them with uh, with uh, questions or concerns ab- about the uh, about the decisions of life for a young man and and so I looked for those kinds of opportunities I can't tell you how many times I had young troops in my office that uh, that were going through uh, divorces or their families were on breakup uh, because mm-hmm. the military lifestyle is a very is is a very high stress lifestyle. I mean, you you send a young man overseas and deploy them for six months, leaving uh, leaving a young wife 
and possibly children at home. Uh, it, it, is a, it is a very, very stressful environment. And when they come back home, in, in many cases, there's a got to get to know you phase. You know, they don't just walk back in to the same relationship that, that, they, that they left when they deployed. And so helping them understand that, uh, that's one thing. Uh, of course, uh, drug addiction and opioid addiction, uh, um, uh, that's another one that's taking fathers out of the home. You know, these fathers become addicted. They wind up running afoul of the law. They wind up in jail uh, or they wind up just giving up on themselves and their families. So, you know, uh, providing the mental health capabilities, uh, services, mm-hmm. Uh, that uh, that will keep these young men from from falling victim to uh, to drug addiction, or if they have fallen victim to drug addiction, helping them to get through that dark place and uh, and regain their self confidence and their self respect. Uh, that is vitally important as well. But I think I think just you know showing an example, uh, giving an example, uh, is is vitally vitally important. So what would you say to single moms? You know, we we definitely have a large percentage of women that are raising young boys. You know, what would that mother's role be in, in raising a father? Well, you know, she's got to look for, uh, she's got to look for surrogates too. Uh, mm-hmm. My mom did that. You know, I, I knew my dad and I visited with my dad. Uh, I, I didn't trust my dad because I didn't trust his ability to handle alcohol. So anytime, anytime the drinking started, uh, I was looking for cover somewhere because my dad was a mean drunk when he would drink. And, uh, and I just wanted to stay out of the way. And so my mother looked for surrogates to stand in the gap, whether it was my grandfather, her own brothers, uh, a, a cousin, uh, uh, you know, that was a few years older than I was. Uh, but, but every young man, every young man needs a role model, somebody that they can look to to help guide them through uh, those, uh, those early days of, of, of puberty and finding themselves and, uh, and, and feeling like that they have some sense of, uh, of, of confidence in, in who they are. And that somebody trusts them uh, to be uh, the, the young man that they're being, uh, that they are, that they're trying to to to, to aspire to be. Uh, there is a, there's something that happens when a when a young boy gets that I'm proud of you from a dad, you know. And even if mm. it's not their own father, those words I'm proud of you, uh, I, I value you. Uh, vitally important. So the single moms need to look uh, first and foremost to uh, to find that surrogate, a role model that they uh, that their children can spend some time with. That's so good. I'm I'm glad that you said that because you know my parents were um, they were awesome people. They were very young when they had me, but they made sure that I had a lot of mentors, and it's still a practice that I have to date. I'm in my mid-30s now, and I still have lots of parents. And there's there's a mom for everything, and there's a dad for everything. You know, I've got um, parents everywhere now. I say that's the richest part of my life. 
um, is, is the amount of mentors that I have, people who are willing to hold me up and help me to build confidence. And, um, and then that goes forth even with my own child. So I appreciate you talking about the importance of mentorship uh, because I think it is so important that moms don't feel like the, all the pressure has to be on them and for them to share uh, some of that pressure with their fellow members of society who uh, can also contribute and help love and, and raise the children that they have. Yeah, it puts a, you know, it puts a, an extra level of stress on grandparents. I can tell you that uh, it, it was just my nature, I think, because of, because of the role that my grandfather played in my life and, and the role that my mother's brother's uh, my uncles played in my life. It was a natural incl- inclination for me. When my grandson came along, I wanted to spend as much time with that baby boy as I could. And he was, he was, he was my buddy. You know, he and I spent a lot of time alone. I, uh, my military career had, had taken a toll on my own marriage. And I know that from experience. And, you know, after mm-hmm. 17 years of marriage, my uh, my wife, my daughter's mother, um, decided she wanted to do something else, and so I was uh, I was kind of out there as a as a single dad looking from the outside in, and so I had to fight to stay engaged in the life of my children, but uh, but it was something that I was determined to do, and when my grandson came along, uh, I I took it up even another notch and every opportunity I got to be uh, the babysitter, you know, to take my grandson mm-hmm. with me for the weekend. Uh, those were, uh, those were very, very special times for me. And I'm glad my daughter gave me that opportunity to do that. Grandparents are so important. Uh, I say that my grandparents were like my angels. I had so much fun with them, especially in the youngest years of my life. So I still make, I still a priority for me. It's very, very important to me to to make sure I touch bases with them and to make sure that we are in constant communication. But they definitely built that relationship and those communication channels in those early years of the time they spent. But I want to ask you this question uh, because there are some fathers that are experiencing shame and they don't have a good history with their children. So can you provide maybe a few words of encouragement that may help them to get back on the right track with their kids? Oh, my goodness. Just simply reach out. Be the adult in the room and reach out. You know, I, I, I am 65 years old, and there are days that, that I can be so emotionally um, uh, uh, wanting to, to, to feel the touch and to have my dad put his arm around my shoulder and say, I'm proud of you, son. Even at 65 years old, I, 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 I need that. And so my, my encouragement to dads that have kind of lost their way with their kids, the kids have never given up on you. There is an innate uh, need inside of a child to have a relationship with their earthly father. Uh, God made us that way. He made us that mm-hmm. way because we have this innate need to have a relationship with him too. And so uh, it, it, it's kind of a parallel kind of thing uh, that we have that earthly relationship between a father and a son. And, and it, and it kind of reminds me of that prodigal son story uh, parable in the Bible 
you know, the, the prodigal son's dad who, who stood at the end of the long driveway and he would watch day in and day out to see if the son was ever going to, going to come home. And when he did, the dad did not punish the boy. Instead, he said, welcome home. And, and I'm glad you're here and let's put the past behind us and let's move forward. So I would say to any dads that are struggling because of a prior relationship with their children, your children have not given up on you. Uh, reach out to them. Tell them you're sorry. If you, if you know you made mistakes, tell them you're sorry. And uh, they're, they're awfully quick to forgive. That's so good. That was great advice. Uh, and I, I want to maybe flip this around a little bit, you know. And likewise, if you can provide a few words of encouragement to people that are struggling to forgive their dads for past disappointments as well, I would love it if you would have something to say for those individuals. Absolutely. You know, I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why. Uh, I don't know why it happens or, or what triggers it to happen in me. Uh, but, but in, in spite of all of the beatings and, uh, the, 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 um, uh, the times that I, uh, was ignored by my father, uh, I, I can remember my dad telling me when I was, when I was about 13, 14 years old, he told me, he said, uh, he said, the day you turn 18 years old, he said, I'm going to fix your mother. So nobody will ever want to be with her again. I mean, it was a threat, and, and I was frightened for the rest of my life that my dad was mm. going to do something stupid and, uh, and hurt my mom. And, and so I was always a little bit leery of him. He tried to pull a knife on me one time, uh, and, uh, but I was older. I was an adult, and I was trying to help him through a bad time, and, and uh, I, I came upon him when he was drinking very heavily. And he pulled, uh, he tried to pull a knife. I had him arrested. He spent the night in jail. The next day he felt really bad about it. That, that was the nature of my relationship with my dad. When he, was, when he was sober, he was everybody's best friend. When he was drunk, he was everybody's worst enemy. You just did not want to be around him. And that's the way he was. Wow. And so I had to eventually come to the understanding that my dad loved me the only way he knew how. And as I began to dissect my dad's own life, I began to understand what made him the man that he was. And we don't have time to go into all of that on this, on this uh, uh, session today. But let me, just, let me just offer an encouragement to, to those that, uh, that, that have a bad relationship with their dads. Um, you know, don't be afraid to look for a, a bridge to rebuild that relationship because like I said, there is that innate uh, desire on the part of a, a son or a daughter to have a relationship with a dad. There's also that innate desire on the part of a dad to have the respect and admiration of their children. And uh, it takes, it's a two way street. Don't be afraid to ask your dad, is there any way we can build a bridge? You know, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to be vulnerable uh, because uh, it, it may work. It may not work, but you will never know unless you try. 
that was amazing. I mean, I really appreciate everything that you said. It's so important just to at least be willing to open up the door to heal, and part of healing is forgiveness. So I appreciate yeah. those words, and I know that those are not easy steps to take at all, and, and it's going to take bravery on the behalf of fathers and children to begin mending fences. So thank you for, for you know, your contribution to this discussion tonight. Uh, how do we support you in the great work that you're doing because you're doing such great work? Oh, my goodness. Uh, pray for me. Uh, you know, the, I mean, we are, we are in the midst of, uh, of uh, unprecedented uh, times here with the COVID-19 crisis. Uh, I, I ask my wife all the time, and, and in my own quiet prayer time, I'm, I'm asking God, you know, how do you lead in the midst of such chaos and, and fear? You know, I can only imagine to you that uh, in, 18, in 1776, George Washington must have felt some of these same kinds of things. You know, he was not a natural born. He didn't have natural born children either. Uh, he was he adopted uh, the daughters of Martha, and uh, and so he was he was a father by choice. He chose to do that. Uh, but but if you look back at some of our greatest leaders throughout American history, how they managed to to see through the fog and the friction of the moments that they were in, whether it was Washington, Lincoln, uh, uh, Roosevelt in World War II. Uh, or or Reagan and then Bush, uh, President Bush with 9/11. My goodness, how do you lead in the midst of such chaos? So prayers for those downloads of godly wisdom to know what what we need at this point in time would be very very helpful. Absolutely, we'll certainly keep you in our prayers. It's it's been a, a tough year for Ohio. We've we've haven't had the opportunity to really catch our breath. I mean, just at the start of a new administration, there's been a tornado, uh, there's been a shooting, and now we're dealing with the pandemic. So uh, we are all in this together, and certainly we'll be lifting you up in prayer for your leadership in this time. Um, also, I, we made sure to put the link to your book on the website. So I would encourage those of you to order uh, Congressman Bill Johnson's book on the on the CompassionNetworkPodcast.com. Uh, it's a really good read, a really good read. If you, I mean, I'm sure you can tell from listening to this episode. Do you have any final encouraging words before we close? I would say simply that, you know, you, you said it. We're all in this together. Uh, I believe if we act in fact rather than fear, uh, we will make it through this and we'll be stronger coming out the other side. Uh, but God bless you, Tia, and uh, what you folks at the Compassion Network do uh, to, to help encourage people. We need more of it. God bless you as well, and thank you so much again for your time tonight. In closing, the Compassion Network is all about leadership from the perspective of faith. It takes great faith to believe in the potential of the Ohio family and dedicate yourself to creating opportunities for others. Leaders like Congressman Bill Johnson very well understands the beauty and complexity of family and partners with his faith to bring families together. Tomorrow night on the Compassion Network, we have Franklin County Treasurer Cheryl Brooks Sullivan who will encourage us to remember that with God, all things are possible. She is a wonderful story that will inspire you to face challenges. Thank you for tuning into the Compassion Network podcast. 
Be sure to follow us on social media and let faith lead you into greatness. You are listening to the Compassion Network Podcast.